HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch beef is 100% grass-fed, free-range, and always antibiotic-free. Our beef will be available in Whole Foods Market's 44 California locations from San Luis Obispo to San Diego throughout the summer beginning June 1st. You can also order our 100% grass-fed beef online as part of a partnership with Larder Meat Company. Visit HearstRanch.com. That's H-E-A-R-S-T Ranch. This week on Meat and 3, we're spotlighting the people who prepare our meat before it reaches our plates. We hear from whole animal butchers, the brains behind a meat vending machine, California cattle ranchers, and a master of charcuterie who isn't using meat at all. It's like a smoked and grilled uh, center stock of the broccoli, and then it gets uh, finished with some mustard barbecue sauce and sauerkraut. Ranching and farming being as difficult as it is, you know, it's just one thing after another. And at some point, you just give up. I had a wild idea that if I learned butchery, maybe I could start to be kind of a link in the supply chain. Listen to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We learned earlier this weekend about the devastating loss of a giant among us, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She was an inspiration to us and to the future and to our children, and she will be deeply missed, but her fight will go on. We will continue to protest and speak out and represent what she believed in and what she taught us, which is equality for all. And we hope that you will join us in that fight. And if you want to share any ideas or thoughts with us, please get in touch. But she will be missed, but she will continue to inspire forever. This week, we have an LA legend, Vincent Williams of Honey's Kettle Fried Chicken, who talks about expanding during COVID-19 with his new locations, Honey Drop Kitchen. He talks about the newfound fame that he's found during this time and about what it means to fry a piece of chicken and how it really is an extension of who he is. You can also look for him in the Pharrell Williams Entrepreneur video. It's really great to sit down and chat with him. And if you haven't had his chicken, it is literally some of the best fried chicken we've ever had. Then we dig deep into the archives with a performance from Static Jacks, who we still listen to today and we absolutely love. We hope you guys are doing well wherever you are. Drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacking Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk 
Vincent, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule uh, and all the delicious food you've been cooking and sitting down with us. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, Of course. So, you know, before I moved to L.A., uh, I had my own thoughts about California food being, you know, avocado toast or things like that and really had (laughs) – no idea that fried chicken was such an important dish, uh, really a heritage dish of, of L.A. Um, but it really does have a lot of uh, cultural importance to the city. Um, what does the dish mean to you, and, and, and how do you see its, its role in the city uh, as you, you've been a, well, a Southern California native your entire life? Well, fried chicken, when you think back to your childhood, is probably the earliest meat that kids enjoyed. What kid didn't pull a drumstick from the family plate to have as a uh, just a uh, just you can hold it, you can bite into it, and if it's cooked properly, it's probably the most delicious meat there is. Definitely a pleasant taste. Yes, yes. Now, uh, the legend goes, or what I've read is that you've been frying chicken for a long time. I saw 40 years by one account. Um, yeah, when did you actually, first, it goes back 40 years. I mean, that's, first off, you can taste it in the chicken because it's, you can feel the dedication to that one dish. Um, but what got you in the kitchen? When did you first get into the kitchen uh, so long ago? Well, it it just kind of happened by happenstance. I was a 17-year-old, you know, coming out of high school, had a graveyard shift job with a chicken company, a chicken restaurant, and our job was to process chicken and prepare it for the uh, chain of restaurants. Now, you know, you don't think from there, that's like starting in the mail room, you don't think from there you'd wind up in the boardroom, but after a very, very long journey, I'm sitting in that position of a guy who's probably cooked more chicken than any man's ever lived hmm. or ever will live. I mean, you know, <laughs> Colonel Harlan Sanders, you put him together with a couple other ones, and I'm right there with them. So, you it. know, they say 10,000 hours gives you uh, credentials as being an expert at something. Well, I've got well more than 10,000 hours. I'm into the 100,000, maybe a million hours. I mean, that's, I mean, that's amazing to be that dedicated to it from a, a lifelong dream. Um, now, I, I had uh, heard your piece uh, on KCRW on Good Food, and you talk a little bit about um, how you were running a franchise and then you had the opportunity to start it over. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about your mindset when you decided to strike out on your own and what was that decision to say, I know what I'm doing. I have the, I have the experience. I'm going to make a go at it um, because I know what I have is better than, than what might be out there. 
You know, the story I, I should share with you kind of happened like this. So my father was uh, worked with me for 10 years in, in, in the franchise that, that I had. I was a guinea pig in that franchise. It was a famous company out of Los Angeles during the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And so um, I, I, you know, I, I like to look at it like this, that I, you know, when you run into a problem, you adapt. And so mm. I kept running into all these different walls. And every time I ran into a wall, I needed to get over it, under it, or around it, or just break straight through it. And so I was always, you know, running for my life in a way. And what happened during that time was I, I started to begin to see myself as this guy on a journey of a thousand years as a sole proprietor in no man's mm. land. I was in Compton doing business. It was a very desolate area, no business around it. But what I had was not a business. I had a laboratory. And what, what company that you see today, a great company that didn't start in a laboratory? So I started rethinking what was happening to me. The other part of it is that, you know, if you came up under Colonel Harlan Sanders or, in my case, a guy named Willie J. Stennis, two of the greatest mm -hmm. legends of the chicken business, and you see yourself as an understudy of one of those kind of guys, it started creating this narrative that I'm going to be the guy of this generation to be the Colonel Harlan Sanders. So I was learning everything I could possibly know about chicken from the hatchery to the table. And, and I was just anal about being a perfectionist. I mean, I just felt like I will never introduce this to a customer unless it meets my taste profile, my taste, the things I'm looking for when I taste a product. And I just kept working and working and doubling down, tripling down. And, and what, what essentially what was happening was it was the only thing I had to survive with. I didn't have capital. Hmm. I didn't have the expertise at the time. All I had was product. So I always focused every time I ran into a wall, go back on the product, Vincent, because you're not going to get through this thing unless you have a product. So – the beauty of what's happening now is I do have some of the tools that you need to have in business now, but sure, I always sure. will have that intellectual property that came with surviving all those hard times. You know, the interesting thing about you putting resources and time and diving back into the product, and product especially since you've been in business for so long, pre-social media, pre-Internet and things like that, is that knowing how fried chicken during the time where you were really starting to come into your own was ubiquitous, your chicken had to be so good that word of mouth had to spread and people had to be like, we're getting fried chicken and we're going to get in the car and drive to this part of L.A. to get the best chicken in the city. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, you know, we were really uh, – when when – things were trending towards health food, we were trending, yes. in, in a sense, away from health food into an area where we're called honey's kettle fried chicken, proudly saying <laughs> who we are. And, and that, that about 20 years ago was sort of unheard of. That was sort of a death knell. You know, Kentucky Fried Chicken right. started calling themselves KFC, 
everybody was going away from the idea of something fried, and I was going straight into the idea of something fried. Because if something's fried properly, it yeah. is, is probably the best way to cook a protein because it's, in, it's almost instant. So you're locking in all the nutrition of the protein, and if you cook it to the bone where it's real tender and it falls off the bone, then you have a, a tremendous product. So even at one time I started saying, well, maybe I made a mistake by calling it Honey's Kettle Fried Chicken on my sign. Maybe I should call it Honey's Kettle Kitchen. But then everyone started mm. jumping in the fried chicken business as though they saw my trend and, and they, they, everyone started joining in on the fried chicken thing. And I said, you know, I'm sticking with it. And, and I think that, yeah. that was the right decision. Well, you know, the thing is when you do think of L.A. as maybe a, a stereotypically all-healthy, you know, uh, type of trends of food and things like that, um, how do I say this? There's always going to be a cheat day. There's always going to be a day where you're, you know, I don't want stuff that is I always, I, you know, I always eat. I'm always thinking about, you know, that type of food. And so when you know that you want to have something like fried chicken, you're going to want to have something that really delivers because you don't want to waste it on an inferior type of chicken. And that's really what you've created because you have created something that is like, I'm going to go to the source. I'm going to eat fried chicken. When I eat your fried chicken, I know that it was worth it because it was delicious. It was cooked with love. You can feel the dedication in, in, in that dish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, with the, um, the whole idea behind uh, making our product so delicious and wonderful, I often kid with people about if you were ever stranded on a desert aisle and you had a choice between eating carrots and oats or a good meal of fried chicken and potatoes, which one would you go for? Or actually, which, I mean, one, would sustain you? which one would sustain you longer? And, and, and it's resoundingly the answer is, is, is the fried chicken meal because it, food is supposed to not only give you nutrition, but it's supposed to be deeply satisfying to the human mm. soul. You know, you notice how when you eat a lousy meal, your stomach, your, your body yep. just kind of reacts to it in a way where it's like, why did I even waste my time eating that? But when you eat something delicious, there's a lingering effect. There's this deeply satisfying feeling that you get. And, I, and that's what they call comfort food. So fried chicken is among the, the most comfort of all foods. You know, what I love about that idea of serving people comfort food and, and the, the environment that you create at your restaurant is that restaurants really are an extension of people's personalities and their communities. So how do you see honey kettle fitting both into your personality and your community? Well, you know, I, I always tell people that when they enter into Honey's Kettle, you're like entering into the world of Honey's Kettle. We welcome uh -huh. you in. We're in. I'm inviting you at, to my dining room table. And I'm saying I'm going to wrap my arms around you. I'm going to try to give you that feeling, that old-fashioned feeling of the, the vibe of the place, you know, be it the sounds or the, the action of the kitchen, I want it to be really sort of a, an immersive experience. 
that people come in and become part of it. And, and, and we're like, I, I kind of described the concept as we're like in a backyard barbecue going on there in a very informal way. Hey, man, I need some more of that potato salad up here. Hey, where's those hot potatoes? <laughs> the potatoes got to be coming up. No, no, don't give them to you know, I said they're hot. You got to take them while they're hot. You know, I, I, yeah. I heard this play calling in the kitchen. You know, hot biscuits for a reason because, you know, anybody getting burned, when they come out the oven, let people know. It's, you know, hot biscuits because all of that is music to the ears. And when you hear customers asking for a blueberry biscuit, well, a lot of people never heard of a blueberry biscuit. When they hear customer, hear us calling those kind of items out, it's like the next time I'm getting that. Oh, I didn't know they yeah. had peach pie. I didn't know they had these special lemonades. You know, I didn't know they had the great date shake. All of these things are sort of like, if you think of my concept, it's kind of like I'm borrowing the, the concept of the drive-in theater. I'm borrowing the concept of the Helms Bakery guy who used to drive around in a Woody with these beautiful jelly donuts. Uh, you know, the milkman coming and delivering your milk. It, it's sort of uh, an Americana, sort of a throwback experience. So we call ourselves a new old-fashioned company because we're trying to go mm. back in time to some of those magical experiences in America, and at the same time, we want to be forward-thinking in food technology and in, in, in all the other aspects of our concept. Amazing. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick, quick musical break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the new developments, the new locations that you've been opening with uh, Honey Drop Kitchen, and uh, just as much fried chicken as we can hear about. Uh, we, this is a song from the archive here on HRX.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are hanging out with Vincent Williams, owner and master chef of Honey's Kettle and Honey Drop Kitchen. So being around since 2000, but being in the business for even longer, you have seen the ups and downs of the economy, health trends, American life, and things like that. And obviously we are living in some pretty unprecedented times right now. But how have you been able to weather the storm, and what advice can you share with anyone who might be facing restaurant troubles or economic troubles for the first time in their business career? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked me that question because I think it is time for me to share some of what I've experienced. So along comes this thing, COVID. Now, I've been through some hell on high water. The 92 riots, for example, 92 uh-huh. riots, windows smash, uh, people running wild in the streets. We opened that very day. It was very humble, you know, stewards of our business, sweeping up the glass, you know, not getting into the social upheaval of it all. We just want to get back into business because if you lose your momentum in business, you know, it's almost like a sin to close your doors. Because once that momentum is lost, you never know if you'll ever get those doors open again. So I've always been from the school of thought that closing the doors is the wrong thing to do. Uh, It's like surrendering. So in my case with COVID, I said, well, if the law enforcement doesn't force me to close my doors, I'm not closing doors. I'm going to keep them open. And what I did was I dropped back into the mindset of what it was like when I was in that desolate area doing business in Compton. I immediately said, get on war footing, Vincent. This is another one of those challenges that goes along with the last one and the one before that, except for this one is even bigger than any other one I had ever seen. There's a saying in the Bible that you should make your enemies your friend. So, Ponder that for a second. I Mm -hmm. decided that this thing, COVID, has some lessons for me about business. And what can I extract Hmm. from it? So the first thing I thought is, hey, I got caught with all this debt at a time when when this, all of a sudden I lost 60% of my business overnight. But the biggest threat to my business immediately is the debt. So the next time, I better be really preparing by taking a full policy of closing out all my trade credit, closing off all my credit cards, being a cash and carry mold. That's kind of an mm. example of making your enemy your friend. Uh, the I other part of it is, uh, is uh, I've used this metaphor that there was a tsunami coming. And I, 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 I had a boat one time, an old, old boat. And the boat, if you put it in reverse, it took like two days for it to, to change in the water. <laughs> but in this case, I had a swift boat. I literally put that thing in reverse. It acted like a car, and I got the hell up out of that harbor. The big luxury liners that are like big corporations who weren't in the takeout mm. space, they yes. have to – it's very slow to change. And then the, the dinghies, all this wake in the water is causing them to be capsized. So I, I, I use these kind of lessons to say, 
move quickly, Vincent, and get into the right mode of doing business because your survival now is really going to be tested. Yes. I, I actually have to agree with you that I think that is much easier to be the type of operation that you are running than one of these larger uh, corporate structured restaurants that have a ton of overhead and need to rely on all these other different streams of income other than just what essentially you said is a cash and carry takeout business that really serves the community. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. And, and I found that our model was sort of ideally suited for a time like this. And another thing that I had always practiced, remember going back to product development, I, yeah. I was always all about the food. And then what happens yeah. when times get hard and people start pulling back their dollars, the first thing they're going to think is, I'm not spending on any experimental foods, no foo-foo stuff, you know, I'm going yeah. straight, you know, bread and butter kind of stuff. And something's mm-hmm. going to be, I know it's going to be satisfying. So I was on everyone's mind during this time as well because I had been practicing for my entire career on product development. So if you're just average and a crisis occurs, no one's thinking about you anymore. But if you're always striving to be above average, always striving to, to raise the bar, then people think about you at a crisis like the one we're in. Yes, and fried chicken is one of those dishes that 99% of people are not going to attempt at home for either lack of knowledge or you know, dealing with the oil or just, you know, people go, it is, it is easier and more delicious for me to get fried chicken than try to make it on my own. You're absolutely right about that. And, and another thing that I is, noticed yeah. in this whole trending thing that's happening is initially, remember, that people's reaction was, I'm not going to be able to get food and staples. So the lines at the grocery stores just got enormous. And, yeah. you know, when you go to the grocery store, you take your product home, and by the time you, you put a meal together and you really don't know how huh. to cook that well, you spent $200, and you're saying, what did I get for that? So that yeah. went on for about a month or so, and then people began to shift their, their feelings about it and saying, why should I be waiting in a grocery store and spending $200 when I can go to Honey's Kettle spend $100, feed a family of six or seven, and, and everyone's going to enjoy the food. So it started yeah. shifting in, in our direction. I mean, the other thing that, that shifted as well, um, what you've talked about before, is that, you know, there was the pandemic, and now we're living in uh, a pretty incredible social revolution and a focus on, you know, black-owned restaurants and black-owned businesses. And you said that that swing and that focus, especially with, you know, the L.A. Times putting together that incredible list of black-owned restaurants, helped um, draw attention to your store and help uh, put you back on the right, the right business track. Yes, it did. Uh, there, there's been a lot of attention given towards uh, black-owned companies. In the case of Honey's Kettle, a lot of people didn't realize that it was a black-owned company. Uh, and hmm. and that, that was with uh, some degree of planning because hmm. when you think of Coca-Cola, you don't think about the race of the people who started it. 
So we sure. wanted to put the focus on the brand, on the products, on the logo, on the concept, and not so much on who originated it so that people would, you know, for those who don't like us or don't like me, you know, they're not going to be focused on my race. They're going to be focused on my, my product and my concept. And it's for everybody. Of course. But now that the focus has been turned to that and now that it is a celebrated black business, black restaurant, are you happy to share that it, you know, who you are and be the face of it? Because I've definitely seen you out there doing more press, talking about the business and things like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this period in, in, the, in terms of, of, okay, so the awareness is that there is black excellence out there. The awareness is that, we can be the ones to set the bar. We don't have yep. the same resources, but doesn't mean we don't have the same imagination. So I've always been this, as a child, I was always full of imagination and full of dreams. And so I took a few pennies and rubbed them together and created, kind of, you know, bet the house on creating this one prototype. And then this prototype, I believe, will eventually uh, catch on like a wildfire, and it'll start to show up everywhere. And, and, but, but for every young person who saw me laboring in the vineyard, how proud they are of me when they come up to me as adults and they say, hey, I remember you from that Compton location. You used to have to wash the windows. You were frying the chicken. <laughs> you were running the register. I mean, it's like it didn't seem like that was ever going to change. And, and it looks like what happened was, Somebody was watching me. Somebody saw and that, that somebody I'm speaking of is a superior being, saw that, you know, I had, I had the, went through the test and I had shown myself approved that I took that little thing and loved it as though it was a great thing. And I cared for it exactly like I care for the one I have now. And then, in a sense, I got rewarded with being able to come to Main Street America and show people what I've learned. I mean, I love that. And the, the thing that I love the most is not only is the honey kettle, honey kettle succeeding, but you have new locations that are opening up, which, if to use your own words, have used the, the enemy of COVID to really inspire a new type of business which is, you know, uh, following in the trend of, I essentially call them like ghost kitchens, where you are doing mm -hmm. service only um, through honey drop kitchens. And um, I'd love for you to talk about them and the inspiration behind them um, and why you thought that the timing was right to open up these two new locations in a time when the restaurant industry is shrinking. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big uh, fan of the game of chess. And sometimes you get locked down in a game of chess where not much movement can take place. And then there's an opening. Well, I saw this COVID thing as an opening, and I wanted to quickly move on it. So I, I, I strategically said, how can we be ready for this uh, new change that's going to occur in the restaurant business? Uh, you know, building a brick-and-mortar business is a million-dollar proposition if you do it right. You know, no one wants to take those kind of risks anymore. So I saw this opportunity to open up Honey Drop Kitchen 
because, in a sense, that's what COVID taught me, is that now we are just a delivery and we work from platforms. Every day they're telling us something different about whether we can have customers in there or not. Uh, outside dining is starting to get dicey, too. Yeah. So yeah. what's happening is we're operating off the platforms with all these delivery services. So what better uh, test sample than to see it happening in your, your main operation? So these opportunities came up that we, we immediately said, we're doing it. Don't think about it. Don't calculate it. Just do it. Uh, and so we're now able to reach people in the downtown area, Echo Park, Lemurk yeah. Park, uh, Koreatown. Soon we'll be in Hollywood and Beverly Hills in the South Valley. And so our span will be able to take care of uh, all of the Los Angeles area. Now, the interesting thing is the difference between this and, say, 50 years ago is, say, a guy or a girl – came up with a concept for a restaurant, and it became wildly successful, and it was running over with customers, well, that is the formula for expansion. So you, you take the pressure off the one location by building a mm. second location, and you build the third location, and that's how you get these chains started. Well, today, to build a chain of restaurants, you know, how could I quickly turn and start opening another restaurant in the midst of this? And spent a, yeah. you know, a million dollars. You can't do it, right? So can't do it. the alternative was let's just be a, a kitchen, a commercial kitchen, all delivery, and eventually there will be some pickup. So that's what we've done, and I, I'm real excited about the prospects of, of the future as to how we would grow our company. Like say we go to Arizona, you build a brick and mortar to give people the uh, brand concept but then you put the satellites together just to get the food to the people. I love that. I, I love that because people can call in to the main location and then you can just ping a satellite to get the food to them. They don't even need, exactly. to, they don't even need to know one way or another. Um, you, know, it's, it's, you know, for you to talk about the future, I have to imagine that 40 years of, of, of frying chicken, building this, starting with the future – you have to at some point start thinking about, about legacy and, and what you're going to, you know, leave, leave as behind as, as your mark. And I know that you've been working with, with your kids um, and, and bringing the family into this. So what is important to you? Like why is it important to you to have your kids take over, to build this generational business, um, to, to, to create something that they can carry on uh, in your name and your legacy as you start to think about what the future might hold? Well, you know, this is essentially protecting the baby itself. I, I, must, hmm. I must cradle this baby for 50, 100 years. I've got to be mm -hmm. thinking about what's the next thing that will threaten the company. Look, look at these companies around the country now that are 120 years old, and then this thing hit, and they're closing their doors. So I have to anticipate yeah. – down the road, where are going to be the challenges to survival, just as I've been doing for all these years? Well, I've got to bring my kids in to carry this on. And they have the passion 
and, and the, they're, they're electric kids. They went out and they found their own careers. Now they're bringing it back to the company that they love so much. And, and, and the social media revolution thing, they're right yeah. in the, uh, the, the cutting edge of all that stuff. So I had always told them since they were kids, you got to get ready, you got to get ready. I even went as far as to uh, my wife and I went to USC to, uh, uh, to a course uh, talking about uh, second generation and legacy, and one of the things that they, they talked about is uh, your kids have to have competency in, in other things before they can come and make a contribution to the family business. And so, mm. you know, this has always been important to me because, you know, you know, like they say, when the man or woman rests in peace, resting in peace is to know that you, you, you set something in motion that you can only imagine what's going to happen, you know, 25, 50 years from now when uh, this company continues to, to, to grow and develop. And, it's, and, and you know how I really did it was I gave them ownership interest now, not as an inheritance, but they made an investment. And by putting some money, some skin in the game, it just changed the whole dynamic of turning it over to the second generation. I love it. Well, Vincent, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, I cannot wait to be digging into the chicken. And now that I live on the east side, uh, I don't even have to wait to go see my brother and sister-in-law because we can just order it to our house. So thank you for, for making that an option for us as well. Um, if people want to order or people want to follow along with the story, where can they go? What's the best place online? Well, you can go to the uh, platforms, the, the uh, Uber Eats, the DoorDashes. You can go to our website. Now, our website is under construction right now or reconstruction. So give us about 30 more days, and, and the information will be right at your fingertips as to how you can access uh, the locations that we, we're going to be building, and, and, and it will give you much more information that will be relevant to how to keep up with the story of Honey's Kettle and where we're going with this thing. Amazing, amazing. Well, so thank you so much, and also thank you to Skylar for putting us in touch. We always appreciate that. We have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.
I'm Brian Kenny, a board member at HRN and Director of Collections and Archives for Hearst Western Properties. Hearst Ranch beef is 100% grass-fed and always antibiotic-free. It's produced from free-ranging American cattle. I recently recorded an episode of HRN on Tour with the division manager for Hearst Ranch, Roland Camacho. We talked about what makes Hearst Ranch unique. So we've done a really good job of looking at where it started. We're now at a point where Hearst Ranch beef has been doing business in seasonal grass-fed beef with Whole Foods for nine years. If we play the tape forward 50 years, Mm -hmm. what do you see? Not much changing on the ranch. I'll tell you that much. Um, That's one of the things that uh, I'm proud to say that Hearst in the 13 years I've worked for them that they've done is that they're all about preserving the uh, cowboy way of life and that traditional lifestyle. So I don't see that changing at all. They'll still be cow-calf ranches. They may be a little more sustainable. They may have a little bigger solar project on them. They'll probably have a little different combination of farming outfit there, but they're going to raise great American beef. For 150 years, the Hearst family has raised cattle on 150,000 acres of rich, sustainable grasslands on California's central coast. A conservation easement protects Hearst Ranch's working landscape, preserving its agricultural productivity, biodiversity, and scenic vistas in perpetuity. Our beef will be available in Whole Foods Market's 44 California locations from San Luis Obispo to San Diego throughout the summer beginning June 1st. You can also order our 100% grass-fed beef online as part of a partnership with Larder Meat Company. Visit HearstRanch.com. That's H-E-A-R-S-T Ranch. Really, that smattering of music from the Big Gay Ice Cream Truck and Shop is a fantastic way to please the ears all day. Uh, So, yes, that's actually true. It's like it. It's nice. Do people ever, one last question, people ever hang out in the shop and just listen to to music? Or do they get their cone and they leave? Uh, Well, we only have two seats, so it's a little hard for them to uh, to hang out. But if you stick around long enough, one of you sings. It's awesome. Yes. It's it's hard not to kind of Speaking of singing, move along. We got the Static Jacks in here. Not bad. Not bad. Working on it. Transition 101. Yeah. yeah. Transition 101. Yeah. Uh, welcome guys. Thank you. Hello, thanks for having uh, us. Jersey natives, now New Yorkers, most of you. Now still still, New still Jersey. Jersey. Yeah. Uh, what are you representing in Jersey? Uh, no, better question. What's what diner do you represent in New Jersey? I represent Vicky's Diner. In Westfield, Westfield, New Jersey. Jersey. Vicky's, yeah. Yeah. What what do you get? What's special? Their cheeseburgers are amazing. Good, good tuna melt. Yeah, they have a great tuna melt. Diner tuna melt in Jersey, uh, that might be my last meal. Wait, wait <laughs> a second. It's fantastic. But I still want to know where you represent in Jersey, where you live. North, south, oh, north, uh, central, central. central. Jersey. So that would mean if you were rooting for a hockey team, you'd be rooting for Rangers. The Devils, come on! I mean, they're not, Rangers. Uh, oh, here's see, this is and, the, that, wait, and that's the end of Snackatoon. Because we are both Flyers fans, and you guys oh, can go uh, you watch the Winter Classic. Oh yeah, you watch twenty four seven. Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I, you know what? Actually, I watched the first three twenty four seven, and then I didn't discouraged. watch the last one because, like, I I do not need to watch the lo- the Flyers lose yeah. again. No, they actually win in twenty four seven. Yeah. Wrote it. Yeah, the so that's the way it. the refs won, at least. Yeah. yeah. Um, so welcome. Conspiracies. So, wait, so uh, what is? I mean, how much time do you spend commuting into New York City, or do you guys have like a like a home base set up in Jersey, like clubs and shows you play, or how does it work? We used to commute into New York a lot because before we had any like 
representation or label support or anything. We used to go to Union Square and just we really busked every single day, and that's actually that helped us get a lot of our team members. I feel like um, who we have now. So we did- give, give us one story, yeah, and a shout out opportunity as well. Uh, let's a see. story from busking. Uh, I mean, they're they're like crazy ones about like the homeless people that we give us a positive, the crazy ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like with there, this is positive. There is a homeless guy who in Union Square who hates Brad Pitt. That's not the positive part. The positive <laughs> part is that whenever we would get like shit from other performers, maybe who wanted to come in, like when we were on a quick break or whatever, this homeless guy would go and like get the, like yell at them, like "Nah, this is their spot. Get out of here," and, and people awesome. would leave. Yeah. JR, JR. JR. Shout out to Shout JR. Out JR. And now JR. he sells merch for you guys. And there we go. Now so he's our, awesome. He's our he's lawyer. Our so amazing. Yeah. That's, that's a true New York story. <laughs> so it's your lawyer. Yeah. Do you pay him more money? Ah, I hate Brad Pitt. Pay them more money. Yeah. So, so, you know, things started getting better and then you just kept things more Jersey or you really didn't have to spend as much time like... It's it's really a matter of like we don't have any money and we're not making money, so we have to live at home still. Uh, but New York is it's like you know with no traffic, a twenty minute drive or a train ride. So like uh, path train, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the path train and um, what's yeah. it like? What's it like busking in Union Square? It was always an adventure. Um, yeah, I mean, it it's not as good now because uh, like apparently all the rules changed. We kind of stopped doing it because they made you stand like right on the curb where all the cars were always racing by and you couldn't hear anything because there were just, like, trucks idling and stuff. Uh, food trucks. oh Just got real tense in here. These food trucks. <laughs> we're not allowed back. So, uh, <laughs> uh, did you, I mean, what was it like that first day that you're setting up? Did you just, like, we're going to go to Union Square and bus or did you have to talk to somebody? No, uh, no yeah. we just did it. It was kind of, like, scary. Really I was like, scary. I guess I'm just going to start singing really yeah. loudly right now. Was uh, it all acoustic, or did you have any, like, small amplifiers? Well, we used to, we uh, we would bring a briefcase and drumsticks and a tambourine, and I would, like, bang on all these things, and we would all be singing, and they would there would be two acoustic guitars. And um, we used to bring a little amp for a, for a bass, like a wireless, but we that got shut down pretty quickly. Because we figured out the rules pretty quickly, like, there are certain areas of the on the subway where you just can't do it because you need a permit. But then there are certain times of the day where they'll like be kind of lenient with you. But then if you have anything electrical, they they don't joke around with that stuff. They make you shut it. You need a permit for anything like that. Mm. So we stopped bringing that. So that pan flute guy's got a permit. Yeah, right. <laughs> he, he yeah. he's made a career out of that. I mean, every day since I've been here, for hustling, six man. Years, yeah. Uh, why don't we hear a song? Let's, sure. let's knock it out of tune. Something. What are you guys gonna play? Hey, first? You, something from the busking days. Should we do one of the old busking ones? Yeah, which, uh... Um... Or not. No, we should. No, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. We'll do Don't let them back down. I was just trying... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was no, trying for something... I was trying for a nice transition, walls. unlike... Yeah, let's do walls. Yeah, yeah we'll do okay. walls. Uh, which way? Would this go? Here, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't have the briefcase. It has since been retired, but I'll... Do you want to use a pizza? I could maybe bang these together in the, some sort of... <laughs> no, I'm going to use my... My body parts. All right, here we go. Uh, Stack Jacks live on Stack Tunes. <clears throat> All right. Do you need headphones? No. All right. Mess around. Okay. Here, you might want to.
I wish everyone so kind of all they have is nothing much at all. Sounds uh, this is a little different from uh, from the record. How did you not blow your voice no, out? No, but I I, I was like <laughs> busking. <laughs> busking. Yeah, I yeah. did. That was I a big very problem. much did. It was a it was a it was a big problem because I like would have to like not do it before we would like if we had have like a show on Friday I could only do it like Monday and Tuesday because <laughs> otherwise I would just like have no voice. I can I can imagine. Yeah. And they wouldn't let you have like any amplified vocals at all for yeah. no, definitely not. Not even like uh, one of those old like 1940s, you know, rowing one mega. Once they saw, I guess I, the cops came. No, no, no. That's uh, oh, yeah, no, that was, he, he means just like the cone. Yeah, the cone. Oh, oh yeah. I guess yeah. yeah, so yeah that was a, we could have used you guys back then. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so, hey, that's so, a free one, guys. So how did you go from uh, from busking to Fearless Records? <laughs> How does um, anyone get to Fearless Records? No, uh, uh, through El Paso. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't even know how. <laughs> that was the last piece of the puzzle, actually, in our, in our career. Are, are we missing some pieces? I yeah. mean, yeah. Okay. Like, on the strength of the bus game and the EP we had released, we gained our... We went down to South by... Yeah, it was self-released. It was called Laces. And we went down to South by Southwest, like, kind of on our own. What year? Oh, man, that was 2010, 2010, right? 2010. Yeah, 2010. And we came back with our booking agent, Heather, at Paradigm, Heather Colker at Paradigm. And that was, like, the first major, um, like, piece of the puzzle, anyone who had, like, decided they were going to take us on in the industry. Except for our lawyer, JR. Yeah, except for our lawyer. Yeah. JR. Yeah. He was on JR. day one. <laughs> JR, man, he's been there since day one. He's, <laughs> he's really been a, a treasure. And then it just kind of, like, every like everything else fell into place, and Fearless was, like, the last piece and we've just kind of been touring on and off as much as we can ever since and um you guys are going across the pond in february yeah it's like a week actually for no uh, like a what it's like a week from now oh yeah yeah. Yeah. we're going to be there for like a month in a week that's amazing and where you go first time over there uh we were we were in london over thanksgiving actually for the week uh playing a bunch of shows when they weren't on holiday break because they don't celebrate. They don't celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nobody cared. Nobody but, cared. Where are yeah. you guys? Uh, where are you guys absconding to? We start in Paris on um, February eighth, yeah. and then we move Heard around. Of it. Yeah, <laughs> Heard of uh, it. we move around Germany, <laughs> Switzerland, 
Netherlands, uh, Netherlands, Belgium. Belgium, and then we go back to uh, England. Yeah. Any uh, food you're excited to try while you're over there? What were the things that we ate when we were, like, um, I don't think we tried Belgian anything. Belgian waffles and yeah. chocolate? <laughs> we're excited about um, going to Belgium. You got to go get those salty beef bagels on the end of Brick Lane in London. The, the oh, bagel we're not made out of beef. Last time. I know how that sounded. There's beef in between the bagels. Okay. But they're not baked. Yeah, whatever you say. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll tell you. Yeah. No, uh, London's, yeah, right, great, right London's great for food. And uh, are you excited to go to Europe? I mean, this is this is big. Yeah. 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 I'm, uh, yeah we're, there's a bunch of amazing things that we're doing over there that we've never even come close to doing anything like that. Such before, as? So. Well, we're, well, the reason we planned this tour was because we, we were on tour with the Wombats through all of um, the fall in America, and they invited us to play three shows with them in London, and one of them's at Brixton Academy, which is like... Wow. Five, yeah, so that awesome. we built the tour around that, and then we're playing with like a show with our good friend Devin Theoralt, who I think was in here. Yeah, he yeah. was here two, or last week. Oh, yeah, Devin was in here yeah, two, two weeks, weeks ago we with, with the wonderful Ali in Georgia. Yeah. We listen. He's he's a funny guy, Devin. Devin he's a Devin's funny great, guy. Yeah. He's got he's he's loud. I mean, his music is. <laughs> yeah, he's got personality. He's got personality. He yeah. does. We love Devin, and we're excited to be there with him. And so good we're friends, just you know. Good yeah. So did you find good that like Howler, yeah. you had a couple anchor shows, and then like once you were over there, it all just kind of began to like roll out. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do, do you have a European team as part of your puzzle? Yeah, we have yeah. A, a UK and European uh, like booking agent. Shout out! Shout out! Steve Zap! Zap. Shout Zap. out! This is the time. This yeah. is the time. This is the time. It's time oh, to get it all See out you there. next week. Yeah. What are, you guys got a van? What are you guys? How are you guys getting around? Well, here we do have a van, and actually, to go to connect the puzzle, we a lot of the money that we used on the van we made while busking, so that was actually very mm. profitable mm. for us. Yeah. But in Europe, we um I think we we have a, a driver who we used last time in a Sprinter because we can't drive over there like you can't drive. Mess. I mean, we could, but I I think no one felt comfortable with renting a van. And having just us drive for that whole time. I wouldn't trust you. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't trust no. us either. If you guys could see these faces, I wouldn't trust them. They're either. from Jersey. Have you ever seen anyone who yeah. drives in Jersey? It's terrible. Yeah. I mean, right, we're already what? on the left side of the road yeah. in New Jersey. Yeah. Why, don't we, uh, why don't we get another song? <laughs> They'd be like, make a left turn. Like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> just cutting people off. Exactly. Uh, why don't we play something off the record? Sure. Sure. Static Jacks, uh, here we go again live on Snacky Tunes. Sure. sure. Thighs here. Yeah. <laughs> I could bang on. Is that no? That won't resonate. Well. Oh, maybe I'll do a little of that. There we go. There we go. Tone change. Is that too? No, that'll be good. Yeah. Sounds like a kit. Yeah. All right.
Yeah. <laughs> What's that song called? Into the Sun. It's what uh, we played the opening. Yeah. Uh, people well, just tuning in, they might want to know. Yeah. People just tuning in. Actually, we usually just do podcasts. Though. Yeah. Uh, when <laughs> you look pretty dumb. When you write a jam like that, <laughs> what's the process? And at what point do you look at? over each other and you go we just wrote a killer jam <laughs> that one literally happened like that where we were in the basement like trying to figure out that chorus and then when someone played that lead part we literally looked at each other and went oh that's a like, that's right. great oh, I'm sorry <laughs> what, what, what's the lead part <laughs> the, the, the like wah, 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 wah. Yeah. yeah whatever yeah, the chorus yeah it but was. like the working title of that song was Pop City that's how we felt about that <laughs> I mean it's, it's uh, <laughs> You know, it turned out so, to be not at all. But in the originally, we were like, we're like, this, this is, is the poppiest like, thing. This is ever gold. Ever. Yeah, so pop when you guys, gold. When you guys write something like that, and then I know you did the record with Chris Shaw, who's yeah. like Ted Leo, who were huge fans. Oh, good. Do you like Ted Leo? Weezer. Well, I mean, you know, I call him on Sundays. We trade vegan recipes. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> but when you write a song like that, how does someone like Chris come in and like kind of hone it, or you know, help you guys elevate it to like another level? Um, it was all I guess like in his production, like the way. I mean, he's uh, an engineering genius, I think. I mean, he just really gets, like, a loud, full sound. Like, you know, he engineered Weezer's Blue album. Oh, and, like, the guitars on that are, like, unbelievable. I mean, yes. To this one day. Of, one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, just to, I mean, have that on your resume pretty much gave us an idea of what... You, you ever hear the Blue album? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did that. <laughs> he exactly. Had, like, he literally had stories about, like, he'd be like, oh, yeah, me and Bob. And we were like, Bob? And he's like, oh, sorry, Bob Dylan. Like, yeah. oh, right. <laughs> we were just hanging out, and we were like... Like, like me and Ted? Yeah, like yeah. you and Ted. Yeah. It's, it's never you and Ted. It's <laughs> me and Mia. <laughs> me and yeah, Mia. There, there you go. There it is. <laughs> but, yeah, uh... And so now, uh, so now you guys gearing up. You guys going to meet us down in Austin, South by? I really hope so. We haven't been there since that first original time, and I think, I mean, the it's like unless we're offered like an amazing tour through all of March, we I think we we'll I, we yeah. really want to go. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you, didn't, you didn't think about uh, record cycles when you were writing that first record. <laughs> yeah. and it didn't like really factor in like an August release. What does that really mean? I know. Screw the pooch on that one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. It seems to be working out for you guys quite well. It's good, Thank yeah. You. And what are you looking yeah. forward to doing? Uh, what are you What are you guys hoping to do? Just full U.S. tour after Europe and just keep... I mean, yeah, we're always looking to tour. It's kind of like, offer us a tour. We'll go We'll go on it. <laughs> Maybe op- contact JR. <laughs> JR. Yeah, yeah, right? the details. No, dude. Yeah. Our new driver. Yeah, too, too bad he blew that money ball uh, sync yeah. job. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully maybe one day uh, tour with label mates, ATDI. Yes, that would be interesting. At the drive-in, God, that would be wow! Well, we want to thank you guys for coming on. Thank you for having us. Shout out to your publicist. She was so she was relentless in the best way possible. You have, and it sounds like you have a good team. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. sounds like you have a good team. Yeah, and are the busking days over? Are you going to do like a ten-year busking anniversary? Maybe, yeah. yeah. I mean, we I love like to busk. To. It's just the it seems like the law got a lot stricter. Like we get we never used to get kicked out, and then the like the last few times we went, they would make us move, and we were like, "This is ridiculous." They have like markers now on the ground where you can go, uh, and it's like right in the crosswalk. It's all that, that like, long hair, guys. I know. Short haircuts and ties. You won't get kicked out of anywhere. It's yeah, true. That's true. Um, so do. why don't we close out with one more song? Wait yeah. a second. Sure. Okay. How can people find you? Oh yeah. What uh, is your Friendster profile? <laughs> Friendster. <laughs> I don't think I was born with that. Oh, <laughs> come on. Come on. We're, uh, we're a little too young to be dated. Yeah. No, it's just facebook.com slash thestaticjacks or thestaticjacks.com. Or you can email us, you know. 
Statujacks at gmail.com. There you go. <laughs> Gmail. Twitter at the Static Twitter. Jacks. Uh, we do have a MySpace. I don't know if anyone and, used uh, it. And where can they buy the record? The record you can buy, I think, like anywhere. Like definitely online, Amazon, iTunes. It should be in like your local Barnes & Noble and FYE. Strawberry, Sam Goody, et cetera. Sa- Sam Goody. Coconut Goody. Records. Oh Coconut my God, we Records had a Sam Goody was... in our town for like well, years. Peaches, yes. All the, when you needed a fruit name to be a record <laughs> store back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, well, guys, thank you so much, Brian. Thank, thank you. you so much. We'll be Big back. Big ice cream. Big ice cream. And we'll be come. back next uh, week. You won't. No, I won't. Uh, but next week is Edie Sedwick, the band. <laughs> and the actress. Surprise. No, just kidding. Yeah, no, no, no. no. Uh, and stay tuned for two weeks for our um, third annual uh, oh my Jordana God, Rothman timeout New York uh, trend report. Oh, and, and uh, also just a quick uh, shout out to everyone who sent in the kind well wishes and words after the show. Uh, last week Really I only got an email From mom oh. That's it Mom right. Thanks mom But I was trying to make it Seem more important Than we were But we're not that important Mom's pretty important And uh, we are uh, And we'll be down at South By So if you guys go down there We're doing a big old panel Snacky Tunes Live So here we go Stack Jacks One last time What do you take What's the name of the song This is Young Guns And it's a new one uh, That'll be on an EP Coming out later this year Is it about the movie it is about the movie. Young Guns too. He was a board name. See what you did, yeah. Morning, leave that first light. Escape the nightmare that became your whole life Keep it silent while the whole house sleeps And you whisper so softly to me You say Like you wanted me to But on a larger scale These things might not do But we'll ignore them Like the brats from your school Whose little glances And band of comments Will only drive us to strike off At my charter I don't really want to run But I come undone Looking at me like you don't want to do it when the sun comes up, we'll be far from fucked. Pretty soon you'll see that I knew it. I don't know what to say. It won't be better if we stay. Young guns, young artillery. Silence, I thought we agreed 
Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.